What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Texans All Access. And guess where we are? And we are John Harrison, Mark Vandermeer. And if you can guess, yes, we are in America's heartland. I, yeah, is that considered America's heartland? Indianapolis, Indiana. I do know it's very close to Pawnee, Indiana, where Parks and Rec was filmed. But that's where we are. The 2024 NFL Scouting Combine is here. No testing today. But there will be other things going on over the next few days. And they flipped the schedule on us. So we've got defensive guys going first. We've got offensive guys at the end. So I don't know how that plays into our schedule, but we're going to be here for the week. So we are going to have a good time bringing you everything combine as my cohort, Mark Vandermeer, is ready to roll. Mark, good evening. How are you? Johnny, I'm doing great. Looking forward to all the inter- interviews we're going to have in the next few days from Tuesday through Friday night. It will be interview Palooza, but really good ones. I said, yeah. but because some people are thinking, oh, interviews. No, we're going to have D'Amico Ryan's Nick Casario to start with, but all these other great guys who cover the league on a national and sometimes AFC South centric basis. So you're going to want to hear what they have to say about their squads and about the year that will be 2024, the greatest season in the history of the franchise. I'm calling my shot. I like you calling your shot. And man, if 2024 is the, wow. Okay. To answer that question before we get started, Mm -hmm. because what I have for us, the first segment kind of leads into that. For 2024 to be the greatest season in the history of the Texans, I don't want to say worst case scenario, but that does mean the Texans have to go to the AFC Championship game, correct? Yeah, I, it really does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I guess that's does. the way I look at it. I mean, well, it, yeah, because look, you could get, how about this? If you played a divisional round game at home, that has never happened. But as you do that, you don't want to lose that game, right? If you lose that game, that would be the greatest or the most you've ever done in a season, period. I don't care what the record is. If you've hosted a divisional game, you've never done that before. But if you lose it, you're going to feel like crap. So it's hard to call that the greatest season ever. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And I'm the first to say, I'll have a million disclaimers on this. I'm the first to say, here we are coming off a divisional round appearance. It is so hard to get there. It's so tough to win 10 games is ridiculously difficult. You want to win more. If you're going to play a home game, at least in the divisional round, preferably more. So a lot of work to do. That's why the joy is in the journey and the journey starts here in Indianapolis. No, you're right about that. And there's a lot that's going to happen in Indianapolis over the next, how many ever days you mentioned it, you promote it. We're going to have D'Amico Ryans on with us tomorrow evening, right out the shoot at 6 o'clock. D'Amico Ryans exclusive right here with Texas Radio with Mark and I tomorrow. And then Wednesday, we will have Nick Casario on with us. And I was texting with our buddy Sean Pendergast over the weekend, and he sent me a picture. He's like, you got to ask Nick about this. And it showed Nick in the locker room for the Patriots completely and totally just mean mugging, like just paying attention to Belichick. And just with the meanest, most serious face you've ever seen. If you know Nick, you know he's not always like that. He's got his moments. So Sean was like, you got to ask him about this. I was like, I don't know. I'm curious to see if Nick ends up being interviewed for the dynasty. Because they seemingly got everybody else to talk. And they got Ernie Adams to talk, which I think is absolutely uh, unbelievable. He was kind of this mysterious director of football research figure who was an absolute genius by everybody's uh, recollection. They got him to talk. So 
I'm curious to see who else is going to talk during this thing. But if you haven't seen it yet, four episodes, the dynasty, do you think Nick will be featured or interviewed? So I've only seen up to episode three. I haven't seen four yet. I'm betting that he said no, but we'll find out. And we'll ask him even before we start talking to him on Wednesday. I want to know this answer because you know this, Johnny. When we have him in the cozy confines of the Hyundai Texans radio studio at NRG Stadium, you know, we loosen up, let the hair down, so to speak, and everything. At the Combine, could be a little more heightened awareness with all the NFL people around. Oh, yeah. About asking him about Belichick and being in the background and what his reaction was. We'll see. He's going to be so focused on Texans interviews. I have to interview 30 guys. Are you kidding? But I'm glad D'Amico's going because all these coaches, not all, but a bunch of coaches are not going to be there. I'm glad D'Amico Ryan's is going to be there. I can understand where coaches, and, and I know a lot's being made about this. Like the one tweet I saw on Sunday was about Matt LaFleur. Oh, Matt LaFleur. Or it said, no, it's Pro Football Talk. And essentially said a significant number of coaches aren't going, including Matt LaFleur. And my first thought was, well, yeah, he just hired a brand new defensive coordinator. Mm. Like going to the combine kind of takes away time you probably need to get on the same page. Now, maybe you know each other, maybe you don't. But if you think about it from that perspective, how many teams in the NFL have some sort of change. I mean, last year we talked about it. Last year there were 16 new offensive coordinators in the NFL. Like that's a incredible yeah. number. And I don't think it's quite that high, but it's pretty close. Pretty close. And if you're a head coach and you're like, wait a second, I let me if I trust my GM, I'm let my GM handle all this. I, we're gonna stay at home and we're gonna make sure we're all on the same page. You know, with the new coaching staff hiring coaches, some coaches. Uh, staffs aren't totally complete at this particular point. But if you've got those things in order, like D'Amico Ryans, well, go up to go up to Indianapolis. Get get an idea of what you're going to run into. And you never know which interview you're going to have over 15 minutes that you fall in love with a guy, and that guy ends up being on you know an all-pro for the next 8 to 10 years. So I can see with all the different coaching movements and changes that have happened throughout the league. But when I saw that tweet, I was like, well, duh, yeah. Now the floor has got a new defense coordinator. He's not going to go to the combine. It makes a lot of sense. So if you don't have all that change and there aren't teams that and there aren't a lot of teams that have no change, I could see not going to the combine, but I think there'll be a lot more than people think. Everybody panics. Oh my God, five coaches aren't going, man. That means 27 are. So yeah. that's yeah. a pretty significant number. And I don't, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, I think it's good for the coaches to be there. If I were a coach, and I know everybody's interested in this, if I were a coach, I'd be there, Johnny. I'd be yeah. there. I'd want to talk to other coaches. I'd, I'd want to – you're not going to share secrets, but I find it hard to believe you wouldn't pick up something worthwhile from interacting with other NFL people, maybe best practices, whatever, and then observing the college athletes, interviewing them, meeting them up close and personal – We always talk about it with Nick. Eventually, these guys become free agents, right? These guys, if you didn't draft them, become free agents, and maybe you get them on the second wave. Maybe they get cut. You get them on a second wave, and they turn into something for you, and you have a little bit of a background with them. And I'll always go back to, and I know we're going to get into combine memories, but one of my big memories is Gary Kubiak saying, I want to watch how the players interact with each other in their position groups during their drills. And I really took that to heart because I thought, 
wow, that does show you something. It's not everything, of course. It's maybe just a, a little micro element of the whole recipe that goes into whether you draft a player or not. But I like it. I like being able to see as much as possible from these guys. More information I don't think is ever a bad thing. It's not analysis paralysis. It's actually human contact with these guys as opposed to charts, graphs, films, analytics. You're seeing them in the flesh. That's got to help. Yeah, I would hope that it helps. Um, and we'll talk about our combine members in a little bit because last year's got me got me thinking about something. Uh, as you mentioned, combine members, I'm like, wait a second. And it, it made me think about something. But we've been talking a lot about free agency coming up. Today is February 26th. The new league year is probably about two and a half weeks away. And then you get into the legal tampering period. But the combine is, well, the combine is the probably worst kept secret of where people talk, whether it's at high velocity, whether it's at the NCAA headquarters swimming pool where they're both working out. Maybe it's at a separate hotel room. Like Ryan Poles last year got a separate hotel room so he could hold trade talks with various general managers about moving the number one pick. So he was trying to disguise all of that. So a lot is going to happen over the next uh, week or so as it pertains to free agency, as it pertains to who you cut and who you're keeping, as it pertains to making a trade, who teams are interested in, agents, shopping wares, et cetera. So a lot of things happen at the combine. So I thought, okay, kind of continuing with what we've talked about this weekend, I sat down. And I just went shopping because the Texans have a they have a decent amount of cap space. We talked about on Friday, two hundred fifty five million is the salary cap level. Texans also have four million dollars of cap carryover. So technically, their salary cap is two fifty nine or something of that ilk. It's a lot of money. But I went through and looked at all the different contracts and which counts against the cap and. So then I sat down. I was like, okay, I'm going to play general manager, salary cap guy, and agent all in one and make some signings, make some deals, re-sign some players, and see where we get to. Mm -hmm. In the end, after doing all of that, now I had to take into account my dead cap number, had to take into account what the rookie cap number is going to be, which is already uh, collectively bargained, so you already know that's like nine. I think it's like nine point two million um, in total for all the draft picks the Texans have right now. So I came up about about ten, eleven million short. But keep in mind, you gotta have some in reserve. Right. Um, you gotta have some in reserve for the season. Things happen, things get moved around a little bit. You gotta have some for the season. So I had to put some in reserve. So I put some in reserve. So here's what I did. Mark, I'm going to start with the players that I was able to re-sign. Texans that I re-signed. Okay? These are the one, two, three, four, five. Five. Is that right? I re-signed five. Now, I haven't included some of the, the other ones that will make out a 90-man roster. I just kind of right. went through the kind of higher-level guys. Okay. Higher profile guys. And to be clear, I would imagine that there might have been other guys. These are guys that you thought you could get, right? For right. certain levels of money. And there might be guys who are difficult to get because they're going to get a 
King's Ransom on the open market, and it might be something that's difficult to match based on, like, look, you'd love to have Jonathan Grenard back, right? But based on what the market might command versus what you really need to do, you have a lot of needs to fill here. And people say, needs? Yeah, because you have 30-plus free agents. You have tremendous needs right now. Now, you can fill them real quick, but you want to fill them well and fiscally responsibly as well. Okay, so here, here are the five that I was able to re-sign. Okay. Okay? It starts with Devin Singletary. Okay. So I was able to bring Devin back. Now, again, I was playing GM, agent, um, and cap guy all at the same time. So, yeah, I could kind of twist things the way that I wanted to in some sense. So I don't know if Devin would end up signing for what I signed him for, but I felt like it was a decent number, kind of especially in the running back free agent class. I feel like there is going to be a tier one, kind of a tier two, tier three, depending on how you look at it. And Motor's probably in tier two, tier three behind the Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry, um, Saquon Barkley's of the world. That's so kind of want, where I would put in tier one. Okay. You want to talk about all the guys you re-signed? Because I think with Devin, based on – because I have the list here. Yes. Based on who you signed as an unrestricted free agent, I don't know <laughs> – I don't know if he's coming here for uh, less than stellar money, but not that you offer offered non-stellar money. But anyway, go ahead, Johnny. Okay. Handle it how you want to handle it. Then okay. I'll talk. Well, we re-signed Motor. We re-signed Dalton Schultz. Yay. We re-signed Derek Barnett. Nice. We re-signed Khalil Davis. That's good. That's good. And we re-signed Blake Cashman. Nice. Okay. okay. So that's that's who we resigned. So obviously there's some names that are not in there. And you mentioned one of them, John Grenard. I want to bring back JG in the worst way possible. I got a feeling that, that that bill is going to be really, really high, especially with some of the other things that you've got to be able to do with this roster. And okay? maybe they pay it. Maybe they pay it. You and and know. you know what? If they pay it, man, it'd be awesome. Because I do think that you can, you know, say Grenard is, I don't know, uh, three at 63. You know, you can – Front load, back load, however you want it to. Now, JG probably wants more than that, but I mean that's twenty one per. I mean that's the salary cap number. So, I mean that's either way you can spin it however you want. You could have a you have a sixty three million dollar contract, and your cap hit could be like two million. You know, some (laughs) some way, shape, or form, depending on how you how you do it. Um, But those are the ones that I realistically was able to resign. Now, back to our Devin Singletary conversation. I also was able to sign one, two, three four, five, six outside the building free agents. And names you know. This is names, your exercise. Names you know, including at the very top, running back, Derek Henry. <laughs> okay. All right. Now you got my attention. So Okay. Now mind. you're chuckling. Okay. Now I know this is where you wanted to go. No, no. I'm, I'm laughing. This is joyous laughter. I would love to see this, to see Derek Henry. I would love to play the Titans. Please wear the Oiler uniforms again <laughs> in Nashville. And this time Henry's running for us. And Henry's yes. just steamrolling them. And CJ's throwing dimes. And it's just a big party in Nashville. Let's go. Yeah. So Derek Henry signed Devin Singletary. Now, here's here's my thought process. I feel like Saquon Barkley is going to be significantly more expensive than Derrick Henry is going to be. Derrick Henry is 30. But as Seth Bain has said, and I, 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 do, I tend to agree with this, he said, 
he was very successful on his second contract. You feel like if a guy's successful on his second, he's probably going to be pretty successful on his third. And you kind of get a little bit of a Frank Gore, Frank Gore vibe. The guy keeps himself in amazing shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would fit the system. Now, I don't know that he's got quite the passing game impact that a guy like Barkley would have or maybe even Jacobs would have. But I still think, as we often said during games, you want to keep Henry on the field on third down. Even just the threat of Henry being in the game was going to be a big one. So, Derrick Henry, Devin Singletary, your thoughts go. All right. So, Motor's agent is on the phone, and he said, wait a minute. (laughs) You just said you're keeping Henry on the field on third down. Well, not every series, but – yeah, not every series, but if it's Derrick Henry's series, keep him on the field. I know. I, I know. And you know how I feel about Henry on the field on third down. I mean, why wouldn't you have him on the field on third down? But I get it. You also want to get other playmakers in there. The other thing is this. Motor and Henry, if those are the two guys here, if you have probably a little bit of a wait in order to make those deals happen, I don't think either of those players signs right away right. early unless somebody blows them away. Right. And the numbers you put in front of me, can I say the number for Henry? Sure. You put down $22 million two years. I think he's looking for more than that. In fact, I don't know him personally, but I can almost guarantee he's looking for more. But let's just say that that's the per year amount, which is nice. Yep. yep. I still think that that is something you're going to have to wait to, to have him say yes to. Sure. Because like you mentioned, Barkley probably gets more. Barkley will go first then, right? More goes first, usually. So yep. let's see that happen. And then it's Henry. And then does Motor sign early or late? Is he waiting for a bigger deal? Probably is. I don't know. I can't speak for him. May, I'm, I can't imagine anybody not wanting to come back here. But at the same time, it's business, and, and you want to go for the high dollars if you're a player. I don't know about his particular situation. So we'll see. You'll probably have to wait. But that one-two punch, yeah, I think a lot of people would sign up for that, especially you have Damian Pierce still here in the stable. Yep. So. Let's rock. You definitely need three, four backs or more, uh, especially in August as you make your decisions on your 53. So, yeah, let's go. Yeah, and to your point, that was kind of my thought process. I don't think that the running backs, I think it's going to be as it always is. I think teams are going to be like, you know what, we're going to wait on this running back thing. Yeah, we know we need one. We get it. You know, I, I don't look at this draft as being great at the running back position. But I do think there are some capable guys that teams might want to say, you know what, we're not spending this money for this running back. We're going to try and go the rookie route, and we'll see what happens. Uh, We trust our offense. We trust what's here. We put a rookie in. We'll be fine. So I think it's going to happen again to the running backs. Not to the extent it happened last year. But I do think it's going to happen to the running backs. And I think what's going to be interesting is the Colts last year paid three, three years $43 million for Jonathan Taylor. I think that's top of the market for what they're going to pay outside of McCaffrey. I think McCaffrey was that again? Yeah, give me three years, again. three years, $43 million. Now okay. he's in his prime. He's 25, I think um, three years, 43 million. And that's why two years for 22 for Derrick Henry. I kind of felt like dude's 30. He's on his third contract. I kind of feel like it's, that's going to be the money that maybe they'll fall into. Maybe not that they want. So it's really okay. what it's really what you said. And that is not day one. But the running backs are going to go go looking for all this money, and it's going to be the same thing over again. Hey, mm, can't do it. Now, with increased $30 million cap number, yeah, maybe some teams might get desperate enough to do it, and maybe that's enough to kind of get things going. Because once you get Barkley off the market, then all of a sudden teams might start getting a little bit desperate, and, oh, they might overpay. So 
I'm with you, though. I do think the running backs, I don't say depressed market, but I think it comes back to the pack a little bit. That's kind of my thought. Do your wide receiver. Do your wide receiver free agent. Okay, my wide receiver free agent, I know people will be like, oh, it's Mike Evans. It's this. No, no, no. Because I'm relying on what I have in Nico Collins and Tank Dell. And I went out and signed from Cincinnati, Tyler Boyd. I know everybody wants T. Higgins. T. Higgins isn't going to cost you double or triple. I think you can get Tyler Boyd on a decent number, and he fills that kind of number three wide receiver role, mm. and he catches every ball, not dropping any balls in the end zone, although he helped us out last year with that. Uh, I think Tyler Boyd is reliable. Um, I think he's kind of a younger version of Robert Woods, and you know whether you keep Robert and then bring in Boyd, but I just felt like from a realistical, realistic standpoint, not breaking a bank, but yet getting good value back, I feel like Tyler Boyd was a solid option for sure. No, I like that. I like that because you have Nico Collins and Tank Dell already. Right. Those two guys healthy, and maybe you need to mention that because Nico stayed healthy by and large for the bulk of the season. Obviously, Tank got hurt, but it was a freaky weird thing. You know, if you said, well, Tank's going to get hurt and miss the end of the season, if you told me that before last year, I would say, oh, is it a size thing or whatever? And maybe a bigger guy would have withstood 300 pounds being crushed right on him. Yeah. But I don't know about that, Johnny. I think that that was going to happen no matter who it was. And Tank is so tough, and he went in for the block. My my point is this. I'm not going to freak out about durability or anything. I think Tank's going to be just fine. You know, might miss a game or two. A lot of players do. Uh, CJ did. Nico did. But to have Tank and Nico back and you add Tyler Boyd to the mix and whatever else you want to throw in there, that sounds really nice. Robert Wood's still under, under contract, like you said, so we'll see how they would handle all that. But you need – look, we get into August every year. You don't have enough guys at any position. It feels like more, 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 and then let it sort itself out. But he's somebody who could really help this football team. Okay, I really want to talk about the combine. we got to get to a break in a few. So here are the other – well, actually, they're all defensive players at this point that we re-signed. Aziz Alshire signed him at linebacker. We did re- re-sign Blake Cashman, so we want to continue to bolster that. We signed Michael Davis, the corner from the Chargers, and we signed two in the secondary that I think – these are two of my favorites, so I, I got a little greedy here. I went and signed Kenny Moore from the Colts and signed Eddie Jackson, who was just released by the Bears. Now, I feel like maybe I shortchanged Eddie Jackson with money, but either way, those free agents all signing, holy smokes. And then – and you'll see this at footballtakeover.com if you go to it. I got a two-round mock that's going up tonight, but I'll tell you who I've got uh, as my Texans picks. At number 23, I took Leatu Latu from out of UCLA, so nice. it helps the defensive end position. And then in the second round, I batted back and forth. I didn't love what was on the on the uh, defensive line, um, so that's why I re-signed Cole Davis to kind of bolster there. I went and drafted Roman Wilson, wide receiver from out of Michigan, to just add a little bit more speed. Uh, ben McDaniels coached him way, way back in the day for a year maybe, so he knows him a little bit. So I went with Roman Wilson, and those are the two picks. So I added a wide receiver and defensive end in my first two rounds of the draft as well. So uh, that's kind of how I went shopping this offseason. Adding those two draft picks in, Mark, give me a grade. What did I do? How did I do? Oh, I think you got an A. 
This is an A, Johnny. This is tremendous. If you could land all these guys, oh, these man. are names you know, contributors, and you're hurting the division, too. You pick up Kenny Moore and Aziz yeah. Alshire and remove Derrick Henry from the Titans, and who knows what they're going to be. And you take away Tyler Boyd, who's – I mean, obviously, these guys are free agents anyway, but you take away Tyler Boyd from a, Boyd from a Bengals team that wants to come back with Joe Burrow healthy this year. They did actually pretty well without him uh, down the stretch, but not well enough. I love it. I think this is a, a great roundup you have. And I think, what do I know? But it feels like some of the dollars, you know how this is going to end up. These are free agents. Some of these sure. are going to be light. But you still have room in the cap to make this happen. So I think Nick wants this list and he wants to talk to you. That's me. Yeah, talking. absolutely. I mean, we can talk and uh, we'll definitely talk to Nick. There's no question about that. We are in Indianapolis where the scouting combine is taking place. Mark and I have obviously got some memories. Mine go back to last year when we first saw one Coleridge Stroud the fourth. We'll get to that next right here at Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this Monday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter, alongside the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, we're back at the Combine. What was your first Combine? I can't remember which one. What was the first one you ever went to? My first one was the 2013 Combine. So 2013 preseason, I went with Drew Doherty and Nick Skirfield. And uh, it was really an eye-opener. I was there too long, Johnny. I was there six, seven nights. I mean, it was, you know, it was a little long. I watched a bunch of the workouts because back then the media stuff was all in Lucas Oil Stadium in the club yes. level. And they set up a little yes. mini radio row, and we didn't have anything. There were very few people actually broadcasting of any sort. There was some video. You know, the big, the big kahunas were there, ESPN, NFL Network. I think Florio was set up. But that was about it, CBS Sports maybe, and maybe one local like Pittsburgh. You know, they're everywhere. They're always doing yeah. something for their their team media, as that's what we are. Uh, but it grew over the years, as you know, because you were at the next one, I think, and or maybe two later. Two after that. And, you know, I remember D.P. Sidhu being there interviewing Pat McAfee at Lucas Oil Stadium, and he was talking about how great NRG Stadium was. That audio was played uh, fairly recently because we had all yep. that uh, Watt talk with McAfee and Colts Texans talk. So that year, though, I remember thinking – we got to beef up our team media. And we did. We did considerably. And uh, that was the launch of Texans Radio. We went nuts and did what we are doing now, which is TV, radio every week, and digital, social, just uh, banging it out. Yeah. Some combine news for those that, uh, that do follow and partake. Marvin Harrison will be in Indianapolis. He'll meet with teams. Um, he has decided not to train at all for any of the combine, training to play football instead. So, We'll see if that uh, matters as he does testing, et cetera, et cetera. Caleb Williams, thought to be the top pick of the Chicago Bears, will not do anything but meet with teams. He is going to work out at his pro day at USC, which typically the USC pro day is near the end of the calendar. It's usually early April, late March, early April. So Caleb Williams will do his workout, and it will be an absolute you-know-what show uh, out in USC. Oh, yeah. Um, it's Los Angeles. They've got a top-notch, the number one overall pick, presumably a quarterback. Um, that is going to be a crazy, crazy uh, workout. But Caleb Williams will not do anything in Indianapolis, which makes you wonder, okay, well, how many quarterbacks are actually going to throw? Who's going to throw? And, Mark, that leads me to probably my first combine memory, and that was that was last year. And 
we obviously with picks two and 12, we were very invested in quarterbacks and then who are high profile players we could kind of keep an eye on. And the, the format of the combine you talked about the first time that I was 2015 and they had it over in the West club of Lucas oil. And that is not a big area. We were on top of each other. I mean, literally on top of one another. There wasn't, there was hardly room to move your chair out and move and do it. It was crazy. And I remember they had three podiums in the West club set up. They one on the right, one in the middle, one on the left. And I remember in particular 2016, Jared Goff and Marcus Mariota were having their press, their, their podium session at the same time. And there were so many mm. people kind of jammed in that little space. It was like you couldn't you couldn't fit anybody. The next time that I remember it being that crowded was last year. Last year, when Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud yep. both went to the podium, that's I, I I I'll never forget those those crowds. It was so crowded. I mean, you literally couldn't even stand. A lot of times, I just stand at the back and I listen for a little bit. Got enough? Okay, I'm moving on. I couldn't even get where I could stand and listen to CJ. I had to go all the way to the far side, like to the podium next to him on the other side of that to even get a glimpse or to see him. I don't know that I can remember a crowd around those two quarterbacks like those last year. Yeah, I remember Bryce Young. I actually got right near him to the side. Somehow I wiggled my way in there, and I got some shots, and I think I posted them at the time because, look, we had a lot of attention paid to these two guys. And I just remember trying to figure out how big, how sizable Bryce Young could possibly be. Was was he yeah. going to be too diminutive to play the position? You know, look at him on the hoof, as you would say, right? Yep. Just in street clothes. How does he look? Does he look like an NFL quarterback? And I thought, he's pretty small. Uh, yeah. But he can play. I, I still believe this about Bryce Young. With a good situation in Carolina, and I don't know if they have one now, but I, I think that the coaching move they made is probably a pretty good one for him, uh, and everybody can get on the same page now. But it'll be interesting. I still think he can play, but you have to have a lot of stuff around him. I think CJ's the kind of guy who just elevates everybody. I don't know if Bryce Young's going to elevate everybody, but I think he can be effective and make some plays in this league, no doubt. So I don't think it's a wasted effort by Carolina, but they're going to be regretting not taking C.J. Stroud for a long time. And it's just, you know, it's just the facts. It's like people regretting not taking Patrick Mahomes or not trying to move up and take Patrick Mahomes. You're going to regret not taking C.J. Stroud because, look, the proof is in the pudding here, and I think he's going to make a whole lot more pudding. Uh, the revisionist history as it pertains to Patrick Mahomes is unbelievable. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Now we know, you know it. I've got, <laughs> you know, I've got pretty good recall on things and you know, first of all, that was one I was on from the beginning. I had him in my very first mock draft. I had him going number three to the Chicago bears um, in my first, in my first mock draft. And I ended up settling on him. Like Deshaun was 14. Patrick Mahomes was 15. That's in my overall Harris wonder. That's where they ended up. But there were some people that had him 30, 40, sometimes even 50. Some people talking about, oh, he's never going to make it in the NFL. I mean, it was, now there's a lot of revisionist history about that. Oh, well, you know, he tried to trade up or, you know, we were right there. You know, our great, well, you know, of course, after the fact, um, all that comes through. But I also remember that the defensive line was a day or two later, testing-wise. And so I just remember 
I wanted to see Will Anderson up close. I wanted to see Will Anderson work out. And so when I go over to watch the testing, I go to the other side, our side during games, not the booth side where you are. I'm on the, you guys are on the, you guys are on the Colts side. I'm mm-hmm. on the other side. And that's where I always go. I kind of walk over there have the broad jump and they got the vertical jump. And I'm like, man, I'm going to watch. I just want to watch Will Anderson work out. And it just so happened that he wasn't, he wasn't working out. And I was like, dang it, uh, man. That was the one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to see Will do a workout. But one of the things that, that you talked about with Gary Kubiak, it's funny. You told me that story about Kubiak a long time ago. And I, and that's kind of the way that I go about a lot of things. Like when I go to watch, you know, uh, pregame workouts, or I watch just, you know, a summer workout, or I watch a pro day, you know, I watch how guys interact. I watch how guys, um, will, um, will, you know, cheer each other on, you know, what kind of, what kind of leaders is it fake? Is it, you know, they're, they're worried about themselves. And there've been guys over the years that I've kind of watched the combine and I've just kind of watched them do things and, you know, they don't pay attention to the instructions that are given. Then they do it wrong. And I'm like, mm, okay. And those guys turn out to end up being, and it's not just because of that, but they end up not being great football players. I watched Will Anderson, even though he wasn't working out, and how involved he was in each of the drills, just watching and helping guys, slapping fives with them when they were done. You know, a guy that didn't think he did a great broad jump, you know, Will kind of pat him on the back, and I was like, I probably learned more about Will just watching that than I did if he had worked out. Yeah. You know? And that was incredible to think, okay, that guy is now going to join the Texans, and we've seen all of that come to fruition on top of the fact he's a really damn good player. You know, I think, so last year, the combine has evolved, as we said. Last year, we couldn't get as close to these quarterbacks as we'd want to, right? And we knew we were looking for a quarterback. The last time I knew we were looking for a quarterback because we hadn't signed Ryan Fitzpatrick yet was 2014 when Bill O'Brien came in and there was just such a heightened awareness about everything at the combine. It was more intimate O'Brien had just taken over. You know you need a quarterback. What are you going to do? Are you going to draft one of these guys? This is going to be interesting. So the quarterback focus was so hot and heavy. And back then, I could get a walk and talk with Teddy Bridgewater. You know, he was right. walking with uh, with uh, Gil Brandt. And, you know, I knew Gil a little bit. I was like, hey, can I get him? He's like, yeah, you can walk and talk. And I walk and talked with him, and it's about a two, three-minute interview. Johnny, I've tried to find these. I can't find the show and maybe I can find it somewhere else, but I've tried to locate the show where I have that Teddy Bridgewater interview and when Derek Carr sat down at the table and talked with me for you know a nice, relatively lengthy interview, and it was so much fun to catch up with Derek, who I'd known since he was a little kid. That was cool. And that's the Johnny Manziel draft as well. And Johnny's press conference you know, blew the doors off the building, and then you look at down on the field, uh, and talking about how players interact with each other, when the quarterbacks are down there, Manziel attracts a lot of attention. He is yes. charismatic. I don't care what anybody says, right? He is so charismatic, and everybody wanted to talk to him. It was he and Derek Carr who I thought had the most people around them, and they were best in the group. Now, that doesn't mean they're the best quarterbacks, obviously, because it hasn't turned out to be the case, especially with one of those guys. But it's just one of those many elements you look for. By the way, Johnny, side note on Manziel, and you and I haven't talked about this, the audio that came out with the Shannon Sharp podcast, where he oh. talks about the $3 million that it would have taken to keep him in Aggieland, to me, the most amazing thing was the reaction, and not the reaction being 
wait a minute, this was going on back then to that extent? Three million guys just passing out a dollar amount that it's going to take for them to play at a university or to stay at a university? Three million? That means other quarterbacks are getting a million or two million. And it was everywhere. Now, we know that stuff was going on under the table. But the fact that nobody reacted to really that part of it, and as I say nobody, I'm sure somebody did, but the reaction was instead, why did you pony up the three million, Aggies? Just pay it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, we're, we're examining that era in retrospect, with the context of today's NIL. You didn't have NIL back then. It was pure under the table, in the closet, and maybe where it belongs, actually, but whatever. Uh, Under the table, in the closet, payments, and everyone's like, nah, it was just the way it was. Okay. I I was listening to Sean and Seth when when they had that on. But I was listening on the Odyssey app, and I was behind it. So I kind of listen to radio now, kind of like I watch TV. So I'll, let's say I get in the car at 7.30, I'll start the show at the beginning. And so I'll go back and I'll listen. And then they, you know, if you do it right, you can kind of cut out some of the commercials. Can't cut them out all, but right. you can kind of go through. And then you can, if they start talking about Astros, I don't want to listen to Astros. I kind of go to the next segment. So I was behind and I'm listening and I hear them. I hear that, that part. And I almost drove off the road. And then I almost, you know, sometimes if I'm listening live, I'll text Sean and Seth. And, you know, whatever, one-liner, whatever it might be. Had Johnny Manziel, this is what I was about to tweet them, and I realized I was behind the show a couple hours. <laughs> if Johnny Manziel would have spent another couple of years at A&M, they would have go- gotten the death penalty ten times over. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Manziel, another two years in college. Now, much less, A, where this $3 million is going to come from, and B, what the Manziels are going to do with it. C, how are they going to get the money without anybody knowing. Um, but... He that would have happens. gotten him on. He would have gotten the death penalty for A and M with some sort of something with Drake or something with LeBron. I mean, <laughs> something would have. He was already grinding his gears. The third that redshirt sophomore year, his last year, that was his, just his third year at A and M. Yep. He was already losing his mind. Yeah. Two years after the fact, he would have blown the cover on everything that gone on A and M. They would have w- got a death penalty. It would have been a nightmare. That was the best thing that Kevin Sumlin did for the Aggies was to encourage Johnny to go to the NFL at that point. Right. They couldn't have handled it. Right. And look at all the quarterbacks that they could have possibly benefited from. Obviously, it didn't work out at all with uh, the post-Manziel era. But I'm with you. That was the right thing for him to leave. And I'm also with him in that, yeah, I get it. College athletes, especially somebody like him, built the stadium renovation, however you want to label it, he deserves something, but back in the day, you just didn't have that opportunity other than under the table. And now we have other opportunities, and it's a whole mess. But I know we weren't talking about that. I just couldn't help myself. I, I had to get that Manziel takeout because it's not going to come out this week in any other way as we do these combine interviews starting tomorrow night. Well, it's interesting you, you say that because Johnny had that whole autograph thing. Well, in 2014, I had gone over to the TriStar convention that was over in, I think it was in NRG Center. And so I had gone over there. Uh, I took Jack with me, and Jack and I are going through because they always have some sort of collectible that Jack's going to like. And so I knew they have more sports stuff. And so I'm going around, and I'm, I get to this one place, and they've got autographed helmets. They got all kinds of autographed helmets. And I look up, and they got an autographed helmet of Todd Gurley. <laughs> Todd Gurley at the time was a junior going into his third year at Georgia. And I was like, well, wait a second. Manziel just got nailed for this. I guess did Gurley get paid for this? Lo and behold, about halfway through that year, Todd Gurley, 
ended up being ineligible for the rest of the year. And I was like, I didn't do that. I, I had nothing to do with that. But I remember tweeting it saying, hmm, this is interesting. And, I mean, look, if players are going to, you know, I, I like the fact, like, something like that. In autograph signing, you should get paid mm-hmm. for your NIL or whatever the case might be. Those players, there's a desire to have somebody's autograph. Okay, you can get paid that way, all that kind of stuff. But back then, I don't know what you were going to do with $3 million and just put it under a couch and wait 10 years. Like, I, I don't know what you were going to do or what Johnny's beef was with Kevin Sumlin. But either way, um, that combine I wish I would have gone to. That was the last one I didn't go to was in 14 because my first – um, was in 2015. Speaking of the combine and kind of putting segments one and two together a little bit, the Cincinnati Bengals, a little bit of news. I know there was some talk about, hey, the Texans, hey, what if T. Higgins is a free agent? Would you go after him? I think universally, everybody that I've talked to here, listened to here, you and I talking about this, had a feeling that T. Higgins was not going to be the ticket, if you will, for the Texans. And he definitely is not going to be the ticket in 2024. The Bengals have chosen to franchise mm. T. Higgins with the Cincinnati Bengals. Here it comes. I thought that was going to be the case. Kind of figured that all along. So I didn't even consider him, Mark, when I was doing my shopping. But T. Higgins franchised by the Bengals. You surprised? Uh, no. And I think uh, the, the tags are, st- you know, you're running out of time to tag people. The tags are, are going to start rolling in. It's good to tag as you arrive at the Combine. So you can talk to people about it at the combine, talk to agents and such. If there are to be offers from other teams, uh, you know, plant those seeds, if you will, uh, or negotiate the deal that you intend to negotiate. Because as I said last week, when you tag somebody, I hope the intent is, yeah, we want to keep this guy, not, oh, we hope to trade him and just get max value for the player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So T Higgins going back to the Cincinnati Bengals, that news coming down out of this morning as we were getting ready to go to the airport. So T Higgins going to be uh, in the mix uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals and not in the free agent mix whatsoever. Mark, we're talking about kind of combine memories. And I talked about how going in, you talked about looking at Bryce. Do you remember your thoughts when you saw CJ Stroud for the first time? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I just remember thinking, I don't know how this is going to work out. He's got the size. He's got the arm. Uh, and I'll, I'll take it back to watching him play at Ohio State, which I didn't watch much Ohio State. I'm not an Ohio State fan. I'm not an Ohio State guy. I respect the hell out of them. And I've been on the campus. I've never done a game at the Horseshoe. I've done a game at St. John Arena, their old basketball arena. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to me, I thought, man, he's thrown to a lot of open guys. But here's the thing. Yeah, he was. Not all the time, but he was. But he's putting the ball right on the money, in stride, totally accurate. Here's what you didn't really know for sure. Those tight windows in the NFL, is the ball going to be as accurate? Is he going to dare to throw the ball in those tight windows? Well, we know the answer to that now, don't we? And that's what I, what I always go back to. You don't know how a guy is going to evolve, improve, work on his game, embrace it and take it to the next level. You just don't know until you know. Will Anderson, too. I mean, as great as he looked coming out of college, he had all the all the measurables and the intangibles, but you don't know. They have to take their game up a notch or several, and it goes for this year, too. CJ's going to have to get better. He'll be the first to tell you that. You just don't know until you know. He has the mental makeup. It appeared, but he's doing it, and that's what you want to see, and some guys just don't do that. They don't take those extra steps. 
That's correct. There are a couple quarterbacks that have made the decision to not follow in the steps of C.J. Stroud. A couple of high-ranking quarterbacks. Last year, C.J. threw at the Combine. Which two high-level prospects, high-profile prospects, one a Heisman Trophy winner, will not throw at the Combine in addition to one of the top prospects not working out at the Combine as well. All of them have a tie to C.J. Stroud in some respects. We'll cover that next. Plus, the quarterback in the AFC who says he wants to stay five more years and win two titles at his current location. But will his current location be his future location? That's next right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from Indianapolis, Indiana, home of the 2024 NFL Scouting Combine, where Mark and I, with Drew, uh, our guys Josh and Gardy, are going to be all week long for everything happening with the Scouting Combine. Now, it's been flipped in a, from the standpoint of who works out, who we're going to hear from first. Most years, it's been the defensive group second and defensive backs last that's going to flip i think the defensive backs and d-line and all those guys are going to be going the first few days and the quarterbacks after that i think they're going to try and line it up so that the quarterbacks work out on saturday uh for prime time or thursday for prime time or whatever it's going to be two quarterbacks you will not see though i mentioned this a little bit to mark caleb williams Jaden daniels will not throw they will attend the combine do interviews meetings all that kind of stuff but they do not plan to participate in throwing drills. Now, you remember, we talked about C.J. Stroud in the last segment. C.J. put on a show, throwing a football, went there to compete, competed, and you saw everything you wanted to. Bryce Young did not throw at the combine. He threw his pro day. Bryce ended up being the first pick. C.J. went second. C.J. had a much better year. I don't know if anything had to do with throwing at the combine, but I get quarterbacks not wanting to throw now, especially if their pro day is shortly thereafter. Now, I don't know the dates of the pro day. Oh, here we go. USC's Pro Day is March 20th. LSU's announced for March 27th. I know there have been years where Alabama's Pro Day was like a week after the Combine, but the things have been pushed back, at least for USC. USC's typically in that late March, early April window. LSU's kind of the same thing. Uh, but USC's announced uh, Pro Day is for March 20th. As I mentioned to Mark, that is going to be a bleep show uh, out in L.A. LSU's announced uh, a Pro Day for March 27th. That's where Jaden Daniels presumably will throw I wouldn't even be surprised if Caleb Williams just doesn't even do anything. I mean, he's going to be the number one pick, I think, regardless. But I guess he'll throw his pro day. Um, at least that's the way it sits right now. Also, not testing at the combine this week is Marvin Harrison Jr. He will not. Um, he will not be testing, and I don't know if he'll test his pro day. The thought is that he wants to focus more on football skill, not combine testing skill. So. Uh, we'll see if that changes, but presumably Ohio State's Marvin Harrison Jr. at best will work out at his pro day on campus at Ohio State. Russell Wilson wants two more Super Bowls and hopes to finish in Denver. Yikes. Um, I got a feeling there could be some news coming out of the Combine or in and around the Combine of Russell Wilson not being in Denver any longer, but we'll see how that plays out. Okay, we're going to have a great time here at the Combine, and you're going to be with us through all access, through all of our columns, through our interviews. Keep in mind, tomorrow, D'Amico Ryan's right out to shoot at 6 o'clock. And on Wednesday, Nick Casario, again, right at the top, top of the hour at 6 o'clock. So, exclusive Texans Radio one-on-one. You definitely want to be there for that. Appreciate you guys being here. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.